Amen. Well, church, as you are having a seat, if you will grab your Bibles, uh, we are continuing in a series that we are calling uh, Rhythms of Remembrance, and it's a walk through uh, some psalms in, in the scriptures. And uh, the psalms give us a whole myriad of different things to anchor our hearts into and to help us remind us and remember who God is, what he's like, that he is good, that he is merciful, that he has not forgotten us, that he will not forsake us, that he will not leave us as we are. And so uh, we're walking through some different selected psalms. And today we're going to get to walk through one of my most favorite ones uh, and it's probably the single most famous piece of poetry uh, in the entire world. Uh, Non-Christians know this one. Uh, uh, other religions know this one. And it is Psalm 23, and it is beautiful. And what I want to encourage us, and what I want to um, ask of you here this morning, is that sometimes when we hear very familiar things, uh, we tend to forget and uh, not really dwell on the meaning and the gravity of the words. So in an attempt to, uh, we do this even with prayers, like the Lord's Prayer. It's this meaningful, beautiful Jesus teaches us to pray, but because it becomes so familiar, we can lose the gravity of the words and all that the Lord is asking us to know and treasure in our hearts. Psalm 23 is similar. So I wanna ask you, as we're walking through it this morning, to not let the familiarity inoculate you to the truth that God is trying to instill and implant and ground our hearts in, okay? Is that fair? And so as I've been praying and as I've been thinking about uh, this series and what do we need to anchor our hearts into, uh, one theme as I talk to many of you, as I talk to almost all of you that keeps coming up, we touched on it last week in the introduction, and I'm gonna just keep ringing this bell this week, but so many of us are exhausted, so many of us are stretched thin. So many of us are restless. So many of us are busy. We are overcommitted. We are go, go, go. Even in this church, even in this room right here, we're a room of workers and doers. We're like, we can set up and tear down a church. Yeah, we can start a church. We can do that. That sounds reasonable. Like we're just a people that wanna get things done. And I think as a result, a lot of us, many of us, in fact, I think any room of this size that you would survey would just say, oh, it's just a lot. I've got school responsibilities, I've got work responsibilities, we've got home responsibilities, we've got church responsibilities, we've got all these things that are bearing down on us. And then to top it all off, those are just, that's just life. And then to top it off, we've got... Um, the news, we've got uh, crazy things happening all over our globe and we're unsure of and we're uncertain about. We've got masks or no masks, mandates, and is that legal? We've got uh, pandemics, we've got sickness, we have disease, we have so many things just barreling down on us and it is exhausting. Can I get an Amen. Does anyone else feel that way? Yeah? I've, okay, four of you. This is perfect. This will be really relevant for those four of you. So all this to say is the idea of rest and peace are hard to come by, aren't they? Rest and peace are very hard to come by. 
Um, and I want us to remember from last week, if you weren't here, we, we looked at uh, Jesus promises us soul rest, and he says the way that we get it, the way that we find soul rest is that we, be, we are yoked to the Lord Jesus Christ. We yoke ourselves to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, we go where he goes. We follow where he is leading. Uh, we uh, are at work with the things he is at work with. It's not a call of ease and comfort. It's a call to yoke ourselves to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And in the journey of now following Jesus, we are no longer responsible for all the outcomes that seem to lay before us. We can say, thank you, Lord, you are leading and you are in charge and I can now go where you're going. That's why he says that burden is easy and light because he is taking us somewhere. It's not a call, the Christian, the Christian life is not a call to say, Jesus, come get in my yoke, because I'm going over here and I want uh, you to be my co-pilot. He doesn't work that way. He says, I'm going somewhere. Uh, I'm, I'm accomplishing this work, and I'm asking my people and my children to yoke up with me and, and come along for the journey. And we can let go of all the outcomes. And that's where we find soul rest. Even in the midst, it's not a call to ease and comfort and endless vacations, right? It's a call to get involved with the work that the Lord Jesus is calling us into. And, and that's where our souls begin to find rest. Now, some of you, you're in this room and your mind is racing about all the things you've got to finish before this weekend is over. Because Monday's coming and we got a lot to figure out, right? Some of you in this room, it just, you're just holding on. It feels like life has shot you out of a cannon and you are trying to uh, build an airplane in the sky as you're falling. And you're hoping that you get the wings attached before you, you're just, you feel like you're doing that, right? We know that feeling. It's, it's controlled falling or something, right? You're just like, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm hoping for the best. Some of you in here, uh, your thoughts and your hearts are broken over family relationships that are strained, and you don't know how to fix them. Uh, maybe there's disagreements in political circles that have all of a sudden brand new have popped up, and you don't even know how to talk to each other anymore, and you're just burdened by it. The same has happened in friendships. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's things about this church. I just am burdened, and I'm, I don't know how to even bring it up. I don't know how to think about it. I don't, know how to, I don't know how this is all going to work out. We're a restless people, aren't we? And we're constantly affected by things that disrupt and fracture our lives and our thoughts, sometimes into a million little pieces. Um, and so this morning, I want us to look at where do we find, where is the source of rest and peace? Is it real? Because so many of us long for it. We, we sing songs about it. We just got done singing about it, and we love singing about it because we're like, yeah, I need that. Lord, bring that. Um, now, you may be here, and you don't know and follow Jesus, and I want to say that you may have a lack of peace in your soul and a restlessness in your soul because Jesus is not present with you. But Jesus says to even you this morning, come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. Only Jesus can bring that to you. So if that's you in this place, I cannot think of a better morning than to 
give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I can't be in control anymore because I can't bear it all. But Jesus, if you can, if what you say is really true, I want to walk and trust you. You need to be reconciled through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and his glorious resurrection and surrender your life to him maybe for the very first time. There's others of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ and we understand in our minds, I want this peace and I want this rest that is, that is promised to me in the scriptures, but we live fractured lives and so many of us are filled with anxiety, we're filled with strain, we're filled with restlessness about a myriad of different things. And I think, I believe that that grieves the heart of God for the people of God to fail to actively cling to and rest in the promises that he's given to us. I think God wants us to put, to rest heavily on what he says and not our own understanding, but let the very words of God become our reality, not get so anxious and broken over all, these, all of these circumstantial things that seem to shift our hearts and minds so easily. So how do we grasp this? Psalm 23 is a beautiful place to go again and again and again. It is the source of our peace and our rest. And I want us to anchor our hearts in it this morning. So I'm gonna read it, and then we are gonna walk through it briefly this morning. Psalm 23 is a psalm of David. Listen to these words. Hear them with fresh ears and a new heart this morning. Let it, let it impress something new upon you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now a little window into what I believe about preaching. That was the sermon. God's word is the sermon we need. I'm just gonna do my best to uncover what God just told us. That's all I hope to do. My comment, we don't need my commentary. We need the very word of God and those promises to reign true in our hearts and our minds. And we need to believe this so deeply that this becomes our reality. Not just something we read and something that's uh, nice on a Thomas Kincaid painting or whatever, right? This is reality. This is real. Sorry, that was an early 90s reference. If you, if you weren't there, sorry. Um, used to be in the Woodlands Mall a long, long time ago. Um, this is our source for rest and peace, the nearness of our shepherd king, Jesus. Amen? 
And when you have the rest and peace, knowing that he goes before you, knowing that he is sovereign and in control, knowing that everything in this world that happens, that surprises us, that shocks us, that even breaks our hearts is no surprise to our good shepherd. When we can cling to that reality, we can find soul rest because God's in control. And I need that truth today. And I need that truth tomorrow. And I need that truth in the middle of the night when I wake up with anxiety racing through my mind, wondering, what about this? What about this? And when this rhythm of remembrance of who God is sinks deeply into us, we find rest. And we find peace, even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. That is very good news. That is not just good advice. That is good news because he is doing something about it. Amen? So, we are just, when we read this, we are in, we can be at rest because we're at constant amazement that we, an undeserving people, a rebellious people, a people that don't get it, that stumble, that somehow we, through faith, belong to Jesus, our good shepherd, and he guides us and he directs us. We're forgiven by Jesus. We're cared for by Jesus. We're being led by the good shepherd, Jesus, and we're being included at this table that he prepares for us in the presence of our enemies. He's our heavenly host. In the Psalms, breathe this sense of Christ, our good shepherd, this King Jesus gathering for himself a people that no longer have to be swayed by circumstance for our joy. That no longer have to be swayed by everything going according to my plan to find rest in our soul because of how God is working and moving. Christ, our good shepherd, is guiding us and we can be anchored and rooted into that. And Psalm 23 just breathes that out onto us. This would be a great psalm to commit to memory. And let it be really, really near to your heart and to your mind because if you're anything like me, rest and peace are hard to come by. And this reminds us where our source is. we might be a people centered into this peace and it only comes from him. Now, is there sadness in the Psalms and in the scriptures and in our lives? Yes, there is. Are there moments of stress and unrest? Yes. Is David sometimes running from his enemies and he doesn't know the outcome? Yes. Um, But he says, even when I walk through those places, I don't, I'm not afraid anymore because God's with me. Because he's with me. What makes gospel sadness different is we get to bring that burden to Jesus and we don't have to carry it. Is there happiness in the Psalms? Yes, there's joy, there's celebration. But what makes gospel happiness Different is that we don't find our happiness and joy just in our circumstances. We find it in him that he's leading us and we are anchored and connected to the very source of life and that he leads us and that he's with us. That's, where our, that's the source of our joy. 
So even when he leads us in places that seem difficult and hard and he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, we can say, surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's with enemies and our heels. And we can still experience this. And when there is a people of God, a church, that let that begin to sink into us in our minds and in our hearts and in our outworking of how we live our lives, catch this, that is what makes a church captivating. That is what makes a church beautiful, is a group of people that believe this and live this and remind one another about this. Because that creates a culture of people that trust Jesus more than all the things that seem to be crashing around in our lives. And that is the most beautiful thing that a church can ever achieve. And it's the most attractive thing to a world looking in to say, what are you doing this for? Why are you doing this? He is our good shepherd and he's leading us. And I want to go exactly where he goes. And I want a group of people locked arms that we're going together with him. And I don't have to be afraid anymore. Um, Along the way, we're going to gain much as a church. And we're going to lose much as a church and as individuals. That's life. But if we stay rooted to what Psalm 23 says of us, and we believe that personally, all will be well with you. Why? Because he makes sure of it. That's the beauty of it. So Psalm 23 takes us there personally. One quick note, and then we're going to jump into a couple movements of this scripture and we'll be done. Um, We love biblical community here at Risen Church. We think living in community is all over the scriptures and it is vital and it's needed and it's necessary and it's um, wonderful and we can be vulnerable and we can experience all the joys of living in community. It's something we value deeply and we call people to all the time in our church. But here in Psalm 23, there is no mention of community. There's no we anywhere in Psalm 23. The singular pronoun, I, me, and my, is in every verse 16 times in six verses. This is just six verses, and it appears all over the place. So this is a very individual focus on the Psalms, and that's not selfish, that's not narcissistic, that is beautiful. Because our need for Jesus, your need for Jesus, my need for Jesus is a deeply personal one. Your mom and dad can't get you to him. Your friend can't get you to him. Your pastor isn't your saving grace, right? We all need Jesus personally to be our savior, to be our Lord, to be our focus. And there's gonna be a dramatic moment one day when you are face to face with him and your need for Jesus will never be more clear than on that day. Personally. So at the heart of Christian faith, before we can ever experience the beauty 
and the wonder of Christian community, we have to be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. I shall not want. It's not the Lord was my mom's shepherd. So I'm good. It's not the Lord uh, was my grandfather's shepherd. So I'm good. It's not the Lord is my friend group's shepherd. The Lord is my Bible study leader's shepherd. The Lord is my church's shepherd. It's the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's how personal Jesus is for you and can be for you today if you do not know him. Now, the psalm as a whole, Psalm 23, is often called the shepherd's psalm, but there is way more to it than that. Uh, Verses 1 through 4, the Lord is our shepherd and we are the sheep. And then verse 5, it changes. The whole theme changes. The whole context changes. And the Lord is my host and I'm his guest. Right? Listen to this. Verse 5, it changes from shepherd to host and guest. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. In the ancient culture, as many of you know, this hospitality, this culture of hospitality was highly valued and it carried social authority. So we need to see verse 5 like this as it changes in the context of this psalm. Verse 5, the Lord is like an Arab sheik, a wealthy landowner. He is powerful. He has renown. He has a palace. And he has this massive banquet table because he has so much at his fingertips. And this powerful man, this powerful host, this powerful landowner that has everything at his fingertips looks at this traveler could even be a fugitive because enemies are at his heels. He's, people are seeking his life. Looks at this one running and on the run. And he provides for an outsider the very best meal that he has at his banquet table. It says, you sit here at my table. Your enemies aren't getting to you here. That's the second scenario. And then verse six, the last verse, it changes again. The Lord is God and I'm his worshiper. So in verse 6, we see this, the structure of Psalm 23 change. We go from um, shepherd and sheep to host and guest. And then the metaphor that helps us understand God's relationship to us as people, he dissolves the metaphor altogether and he goes to reality. And he says, The Lord is God, and you are his worshiper. And he brings you into his temple, his very dwelling place, where sinful, rebellious people enter into the very presence of God through the blood of the Lamb. That's where you can come in. Psalm 23, 6, surely goodness And mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So to be the Lord's sheep is good. Yes, he guides us. To be the Lord's guest is better. He cares for us. He nourishes us. 
But to be with the Lord in his presence forever and ever and ever is the very best news of all. Washed in the blood of the Lamb, entering into the Holy of Holies because of all that God has done for us. That is the greatest reality that we need. And when we believe that and we can preach that to our own very hearts, our souls are not as restless and we're not as fearful and we're not as scattered. And we can rejoice even in the hard place because that's our reality. That's our promise. The biblical word for this, the very end of this, is heaven. That's what he's promising us by all that he's done. So I want to look briefly at each movement and a quick point about each one, and then we'll be done. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, I shall not want um, means I do not lack. It could be translated. It doesn't mean I don't desire anything. So it doesn't mean the Lord is my shepherd, I don't desire anything. I'm just kind of robotic and I have no desires in my heart. No, no, it's the Lord is my shepherd. He's guiding, he's out in front. So I lack nothing now. The verse is saying that Jesus now takes responsibility for you personally. He's committed to you. He's out before you. He's in control. When I'm an aimless sheep, he's directing me. I lack nothing. I now have purpose and aim and direction and guidance and I'm cared for. And he's watching out for the wolves even when I don't even know they're there. Therefore, I'm content. Life is hard, yes. But now, because of the good shepherd, my life is now rest in motion. Like a sheep. I could go into a lot of agrarian analogies, but I'll spare you, okay? Here's my translation. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, I'm not freaking out anymore. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't have to freak out about this anymore. He's got me. The Lord is my shepherd, I'm settled. The Lord is my shepherd, I'm calm. The Lord is my shepherd, I am at rest. I am at peace. It's like John chapter one says this. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. It's all that he's done. He's our shepherd. Revelation 22 says it beautifully. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, free of charge. He's offering it all to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got you. There's, you, you can't pay for it. You can't earn it. You can't walk in such a way that you would be like, wow, he's really impressive. He's leading and guiding us, and he gives us all of his benefits and all of his merits out of his grace and mercy. The Bible speaks of his abundance of grace, his surpassing grace, the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So in other words, Christian, God is not holding out on you. So many of us think that God is like the bully with the magnifying glass in the sky, and he's just like, well, let's, let's kind of see what he does, and maybe I might give him a little bit of, no, He's not holding, the Bible is just full of passages of him 
pouring out his grace and blessing on you time and time and time again, when you, especially when you didn't deserve it. Um, small thoughts of God are not found in the scriptures. Uh, incremental, like, life helps are not found in the scriptures. That's not what it's about. Um, his presence is pervasive and life-altering when confronted by it. And sometimes he puts us on a whole new path when we begin following the good shepherd. That's scary, but we don't have to fear anymore, remember, because he's leading us. The Bible, however, does warn us in Matthew's gospel that Jesus sometimes would go to places and he didn't do any mighty works because of their unbelief. They just didn't believe Jesus could move. They didn't trust Jesus as their good shepherd. So Jesus, he didn't work. They're like, oh, if, I just don't believe he can do that. Christ is more than enough for us. He's all that we'll need forever and ever and ever, beyond anything we could ever ask or think. And Psalm 23 is saying, you can have him as your good shepherd. Jesus is offering himself to you personally. And here's the catch. Um, he doesn't give himself to worthy people. He gives himself to the undeserving that bring nothing to him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm going to be okay. So when we start feeling overlooked, when we stop feeling thankful, when we start feeling abandoned, we start blaming God, we've, we've lost our way. We, we come back to this. He's not forgotten you. He's not left you. An angry heart treats Jesus as if he doesn't exist and it creeps in and we begin to follow other shepherds. The Lord plus whatever. My career, more money, my bank accounts, my family, my what, all, we can put even really good things in the place of our good shepherd and it can lead us away. But the only real shepherd is the risen Lord Jesus Christ and he is the way to fullness and rest and peace for our souls. We can bank on him and he will not let us down. All those other th things will. I promise. And sometimes the Lord calls us to have to let go of things that we think are so precious to us in order to follow him in his fullness. I mean, that's the whole... I'll dork out here for a moment, but that's the whole story of the Lord of the Rings. This beautiful, precious thing. And it, in, the darkness, in the darkness, it beckons you and you have to have it and it becomes more and more part of you and your heart and you just, I can't let go, I can't let go. That's if I let go. But the, the, the only way forward is to let go of that, to find life. Is Jesus calling you to let go of something here this morning that you might be able to follow our good shepherd? Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So now the Lord is your host, remember? You are the guest. Now, I really wish, 
I love that first part. You prepare a table before me. Yes, I want to sit at that table. I want to feast at that table. I'm going to be part of the Lord's table. It sounds wonderful. The wealthy landowner that invites me, a fugitive and stranger that's undeserving, to sit at this amazing feast, and that is true 100%, but I don't like the other part. In the presence of my enemies, what? Oh, that's, that took a turn for the worst, right? I just want to be at a banquet table with all this wonderful food and have fajitas and lovely things to uh, snack on and right, and have good company. Why are the enemies there, Lord? But here's the reality. If you love the Lord and you're feasting at his table, the Bible promises that we will have enemies in this world. The Bible says in 2 Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I don't like that one either. But it's true. And it will look different for everyone. Um, but what this is saying is beautiful. Catch this. Um, why this is so good, why this places our soul at rest, and we can even experience the peace of the Lord, even when reading hard things like this, is this is good news, is that there is no opposition that can block the Lord's support for you. Right? There is no opposition that can block the Lord's support for you. Even when it comes barreling down against you, the Lord can always get through. And sometimes he gets through in very surprising ways. He always has a way of getting through to us. Always, always, always. No matter how powerful the opposition, Jesus always can get through. I was reminded of a story. I think I've told this before. Corrie ten Boom. Uh, she was a, uh, a Dutch woman. Her and her family during World War II were housing and sheltering Jewish people from the Nazis, trying to get them uh, shelter and get them safety from being sent to concentration camps. They were discovered. They were found out. Her and her parents and her sister were taken and they were put in a Nazi concentration camp. A hellacious spot to go. I can't imagine the fear and anxiety. But as she's writing what happened in her experience, the guards in that camp would not enter her barracks. The guards in her, in, in her concentration camp would not enter her barracks where she was with many, many, many other women. Why? Because it was infested with fleas. Fleas were everywhere. They were all over these poor girls and women. Horrible. But Corey smuggled in a small Bible Somehow when she got to that concentration camp and she was left alone for weeks and weeks and weeks with these other women, she opened the scriptures and she began to teach of the very hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the very darkest of places. And the Nazi captors could not get to them because the Lord used fleas to block the opposition of the evil one from getting in to to stop them from worshiping. And she writes that her and her sister um, 
they would pray and they thanked God for the fleas. They thanked God for the fleas. The fleas controlled the Nazis. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Sometimes that table is not exactly where you think it's going to be. But he always has a way. When Jesus is wonderful to you, uh, people will resent you. And when you are thrust out, Jesus will take you in. And he will care for you. Even if that love and care is nothing like what you thought it could be. Um, The wealthy host sheltering his desperate fugitives for his glory, for his purposes. That's my story. That's your story as believers. The Lord prepares a table. He anoints our head with oil and he keeps refilling our cup even though I had nothing to offer or contribute. That is very personal to me. But it is not exclusive to me. That's the beauty of this. You can have that. Your friends can have that. Your family can have that. Jesus offers this reality to all of us. And he wants to take you there today. And all you have to do is ask him. Um, He loves to answer that prayer. God, I have nothing, but I want you and all of you. And I want you to lead me and I want you to guide me and I want you to prepare that table and I want to sit at that no matter where you set it. He loves to answer that prayer. Finally, verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is not our goodness. It is not our mercy. It is his. He is the Lord. I am the worshiper. Verse six is like another, it's an Old Testament way of saying nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Um, And right now and all along the way in your journey, in your life, his goodness and mercy will follow you, not his wrath. In Christ, he will keep pursuing you. Follow, that word follow could probably better be translated pursued. It's not Jesus following behind you, it's even when we're going, the Lord can, his pursuit comes after us. His goodness and mercy goes forth. It's like catapulting onto us. It catches up with us. Even when we're like running away, his goodness and mercy will outrun us. And when we get to this place, The Lord doesn't wait for his worshipers to come to him. He goes out and finds us and he brings us in and he wipes away every tear and he says, no more enemies. He says, no more impulse to run away. No more wandering off. You are grounded in my love. You're grounded in my mercy. You're grounded in my joy because you're in my house forever and ever and ever and ever. He finds us and he pursues us And no matter how much you run, if you are his, you cannot outrun him. That is the beauty of our God. (laughs) Philippians 1.6, the Apostle Paul says it this way, I am sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will do it. You can't outrun him. He knows you by name, and he's coming after you. And he's gathering for himself a people. And we will dwell with him forever. That's why we can walk and not be afraid. That's why we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm going to be okay. We can find our rest in him. Let's pray together, church. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us these words of life, God, that um, make inroads into our hearts. God, I pray we as a people today would believe these. God, I pray for maybe someone in here that doesn't know you. The Lord cannot say, the Lord is my shepherd. Lord, would you hear their prayers today? Would they call out to you? Would they cry out to you? And they say, Lord, I want you to be my shepherd. I need you. I want to sit at your banquet table even when there's enemies around me because I can't shield myself and I want you to be my protector. I want you to be the one that fights my battles for me that I cannot fight on my own. God, I pray for those in this room that are believers that are chasing after other things and other shepherds and they've let them down. God, would you redirect them? Would your loving pursuit come after them and redirect and may your rod and your staff, would you comfort them and guide them and redirect them? God, I pray for the one that is walking now through the valley of the shadow of death and they don't know which way is up. Would you comfort them by your loving care and may they be able to complete that last part and say but I'm going to be okay because you're with me you're guiding me here and so even though I don't understand I cling to you Lord Jesus as my good shepherd and God give us a hope of heaven knowing that one day we will be with you and we will see you and we will worship you face to face and it will be magnificent we love you and trust you in Jesus powerful name pray these things. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship and let's begin to sing and anchor our hearts to this new song that we sang, uh, believing that he is good and he is our good shepherd and he is in control.